were so many sleepless nights there that at, at one point, I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada with my wife and, and this other couple. They were friends of ours from college. And my wife had convinced me to go to see Tim McGraw and Faith Hill up there. And so somewhere there, and the girls wanted to go get this couple's massages. And we're in the lobby of this hotel booking these massages, right? And I'm there talking with my buddy, and Brad calls me. And he tells me, hey, dude that the, all the all the problems that we were dealing with there, the legal stuff, the this and that, the guys, you know, that were picking on us, he's telling me, hey, it's done, it's over, we won. And I sat down in that lobby and I just started crying. Hey guys, welcome to the CRE Project Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Gannon Kaufman and Clayton King. Welcome to the CRE Project Podcast. We are very excited about having our first interview today on the podcast. We're fortunate enough to be talking with Brad Allen and Lance Sigmund from Allen Sigmund Commercial Real Estate here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Brad and Lance are probably two of the most active individuals in the state of New Mexico right now, as far as development goes. They've invested and developed in industrial projects, retail projects. Uh, they even have a couple hotels that they're involved in as well. So very, very multidimensional developers. So this episode should be just filled with valuable information and should just be really resourceful. So we hope you all enjoy. Hey guys, uh, welcome to uh, this episode. We are here today with uh, Brad Allen and Lance Sigmund with Allen Sigmund Commercial Real Estate here in Albuquerque. And I think to start off, guys, we've already given them kind of a brief introduction of who you guys are, what you've done in the market, but we'd really like to hear that uh, directly from you. So if you can give us some feedback on your company, what you guys specialize in, the size of your company, and then also, if you can, give us some background on who you guys are individually and how you got into the business, all, all kind of the, the basic stuff. Sure. Who'd you like to start? Whoever wants to go. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so, man, we started our company in 2011, and um, we've been in business for... I guess what eight years now, Brad? Yeah, together. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> before that, we were at a company called Roger Cox and Associates, and had a great time there. Um, Brad was the president of that company. I started there as a broker in 2004. Brad had been there. What six? When did you start there? Uh, eight years. Eight ninety-six. Yeah. So Brad's much older than I am, and uh, and uh, so we uh, we met there at Roger Cox and Associates, and had a, a great chance to learn from from Roger himself. He was. He was kind of the guy for a lot of years, and um, he treated us really like uh, like family, it seemed like, and just provided us with a lot of opportunities. We did deals. We partnered with Roger on deals. Uh, we were able to broker. We saved our commissions. We invested them in, in buying properties. And, you know, that's, that was probably one of the things, one of the best things we ever did was get around a guy yeah. that did everything that we hoped to do. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, guys always ask, hey, how do I do this? It's like, well, go park yourself next to someone who will let you learn from. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I remember being with Roger for 15 years. I told Roger, I said, I feel like 
I've been spent more time with you than my own family, <laughs> my own parents growing up. <clears throat> yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, Roger was the type of guy that, um, and if you worked hard and proved yourself and, and you were there hustling, he would, uh, he would allow you to, you know, be involved in stuff. And it, it was great. And I, I, he gave us so many opportunities. So we were there together. And then um, in 2011, at the bottom of the real estate market, we thought, hey, this would be a wonderful time to start a commercial real estate. <laughs> so, uh, so I was actually uh, the first employee. Brad was off in Arizona. His wife was having surgery. So I showed up at our office that we'd rented with our my, fir- my the first piece of new furniture I'd ever bought was a, a desk and a credenza. My wife is still upset about that. But uh, I show up and I'm just sitting there and looking around saying, man, I should hope Brad comes. <laughs> And uh, he eventually showed up a couple of days later. But that was September 26, 2011. And uh, we started out there. We had a, a property manager. Um, she'd come over, a girl named Michelle, wonderful lady. Uh, love her to death. She's like a sister to us. And uh, and then we had a, a receptionist gal that we'd hired. And, and we just we just started cranking it. Just started it. Yeah. So so what, what really inspired you guys to kind of take that leap from, you know, being a president of the company? being in the brokerage business to actually being a, a business owner? You know, that, that's a great question. We, it was a tough decision. We were going back and forth on a lot of different scenarios. I've been with Roger for 15 years and I felt like I could not have created or done that anywhere else. So to, to pick up and leave is not an easy decision. There was a lot of talks about us trying to buy the company. Uh, we worked out some things. We started moving down that road. Then you kind of, kind of follow your gut on a lot of things if it's right if it's not right and it was probably one of the hardest decisions we ever made because we had a great thing going there yeah um, and so why leave right why do you pick up and leave right, yeah and and the only thing i can think of i talked to lance and i had a good friend very successful guy had a public trade publicly traded company had acquired lots and lots of companies and he told me something that just stuck with us he just said you know if you if you buy it, he says, I bought all these companies. Those people are never your people. He says, I would advise you guys just go create your own company. Start it from scratch. That way all the people are your people. And 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 Lance and I sat down, we did a spreadsheet, we're cranking out, we had all these we had these assets connected with Roger, and we're paying various amount of dollars to have those things managed. And we sat down one day and figured out we took that same amount of dollars and paid it to ourselves. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we figured it would be like what fifteen hundred dollars a yeah. month short. We figured based on all these you know expected expenses, we'd be about fifteen hundred short. We said, oh man, we can do that. <laughs> yeah. We can we can pony up seven fifty each and do it. Um, you know, Brad brings up a great point here, and that's what really I think allowed us to leave was, and, and it goes back further than money. It goes back. Brad and I both have the ability to save money and to practice what I call delayed gratification, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many, my wife will tell you horror stories of how I made her drive around in a, a four-door Kia Sportage that was dented in on the side because she got the side swiped and, and it would just rev random, randomly, you know, as yeah. she's driving in and she'd have to like, you know, put it in gear and release the clutch <laughs> and, and all that so we could save money and invest. So while Brad and I were at Rogers, we're buying assets that were then producing cash flow for us. They were also producing management fees for Roger's company because Roger's company was managing. Yeah. And that's what the calculation we did. We sat down and said, well, we're paying Roger's company X thousands of dollars every month to manage our assets that we own and control. Yeah. Uh, why not just take that money and put it towards overhead for our own company? 
So, so when you can do that, you really have this kind of parachute or this cushion, if you will. Leaving isn't quite as scary or quite as intimidating. You're sitting there saying, oh, worst case scenario, if the brokerage doesn't bring in any commissions, we'll only have to, we'll only be 1500 short. Yeah. And Brad and I had cash flow from our other assets that we knew we could cough up 750 each sure. and, uh, and, and make it work. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't as intimidating as someone just saying, Hey, I'm going to start from scratch and I got, you know, 10 grand saved up and let's yeah. see how this works. Yeah. So, uh, obviously congrats on your success. Uh, Oh, hey, by the way, we've never had to put that $1,500 in. It's always <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Yeah, we've never had to do that. We've been very blessed. So um, so let's let's stay focused just on brokerage for, for just a little bit. And you, you touched on this a little little while ago. But, you know, what what would you guys say to a lot of new brokers that maybe are just individuals in general looking to get into commercial real estate? And what would you tell them about the industry? And what would you tell them regarding mentorship? And you guys touched on kind of adding value to mentors. What do you feel like is the best path for new brokers? And candidly, what do you think is the biggest challenge for new brokers? Man, those are those are great questions. You know, Lance and I have hired a lot of brokers. And when I was at Roger Cox for those 15 years, I hired a lot of brokers. And I think the guys, I can spend very little bit of time around a person and I know whether they'll be successful as business or not. Lance touched on a little bit. There's a lot of delayed gratification. It's being very focused. It's talking about sacrificing a lot of things. And if they're married, they got a wife on board that's willing to sacrifice just as much. Pardon. Um, but it's, it, it's guys that would succeed in any other industry, but they happen to pick real estate as their vehicle. Um, they're not just kind of thinking about it. They're not dipping their toe to see if the water's warm. Yeah, burn the ships. They are burning time. the ships, baby, and they are all in. And they are committed 120%. There's no messing around. And guys that are early, they're late, they're eating and breathing this thing. Yeah. And they've got a specific plan they're accomplishing. I would advise guys who are trying to start this business is have a game plan. Be very specific if you want to be a broker. Be very specific on what you want to represent and do. I got into the business because I wanted to own real estate. That was my number one goal. And for me, brokering was a vehicle to save those commissions and reinvest them. And so I viewed brokerage as, as a purely a um, platform, a vehicle to get me to where I really wanted to go. Uh, but guys that succeed in this business, we can name them off the top of our head. And they're very specific about what they do. They become experts at something. Yeah. And, and they will do whatever it takes to succeed. So however you quantify that, whatever characteristic or personality that is, I've seen guys that, you know, you can't necessarily look at someone and say they're going to succeed or not succeed. It really drills down. Are they willing to put it all on the line and, and stick it all out there yeah. and sacrifice everything to achieve that one goal? Yeah. And if they've got support and they can do it, they'll make it happen. If they're looking for the company to do it for yeah. them, they'll never make it. Company has great structure and support, but if they can't make it, they got to look inward and figure out what's going on with them. So, what do you feel makes a good broker? What what? Why do some Why do some brokers make it and others? Because they're pers you got to be persistent. That's you got to be incredibly persistent. Persistence trumps. Everything, everything else. I know. And there's a great quote, and I wish I had it memorized, but it talked about talent talking versus about persistence. <laughs> yeah, you know that one? I have it printed out and I stuck up, you know, yeah. and I just think that is the whole thing. 
the successful brokers I know, they're doing the stuff that no one else wants to do. And yep. they're doing it every day. And, you know, I also, I had this one printout. It was really cool. It was these different pictures and it said, you know, it had images kind of showing what people, different thoughts people were having. One says, you know, what my mom thinks I do. And it had this guy in this tie presenting yeah. to this yeah, boardroom. Yeah. It looked really cool. And then, <laughs> then it had, oh, what I wish I was doing. It had all these different pictures. Then it said what I actually do. And it was this cowboy herding a bunch of cats. Yeah. And I thought, I thought, yeah, we are problem solving every day. And we're doing things that other people don't want to do every day. And, and we have a lot of fun doing it. But I think the really good brokers are persistent. And they're good at solving problems because every time you have, you know, there no deal goes perfectly smooth. Yeah. Right? And they're also okay with, with a little bit of controversy with, with you mentioned problems. They're not going to stick their head in the sand and hope it goes away. They'll address the issues head on, figure out how to solve it. I see a lot of guys that just don't like any type of contention or any issues. And those guys end up either getting sued or they lose interest or whatever. But if you address the problems head on, you know, versus thinking it'll just take care of itself, magically it'll happen at closing. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. You got to, yeah, you got to just solve it. Yeah. You got to tackle it and solve it and not be afraid of it. Yeah. Uh, all good points. So, and as you guys are looking on your brief career, eight years is not a lot of time, you know, looking at it um, compared to a lot of these other companies. But you guys have had tremendous impact. In the community, what would you say do you think some a couple of your most proud achievements are? And then on the flip side of that, some a couple of your you know biggest learning moments or quote unquote failures, which you know, but we that you learned from. I, I think I think if you zoom out for a minute and you look at Brad and I, just kind of what makes us tick a little bit. I think first and foremost, we come from a highly motivated family situation, right? I mean. <clears throat> Brad has six kids. I have four kids. We have wonderful wives and uh, our families are everything to us. Sure. You know, and, and so inherently when I walk out the door every day, I'm, I'm looking at pictures of these little kids and well, now my boys are 16 and they're bigger than I am, but they were <laughs> little at the time, you know, you're looking at that and you're saying, I want to do everything I can to, to provide for my family and make, make sure they have a comfortable life and, and that they're happy. And so, so you walk out and Brad's a hard worker. I'm a hard worker. When you can have some discipline and some good motivation, whatever it may be, right? For us, you know, family's a big part of what we do. You look at that and you say, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this work. I don't have a plan B. I don't have another option. I've got to do this. You mentioned burning the ships, you know, our ships were burned. We, we, we had to make this work. Yeah. And when we look at, at some of our greatest accomplishments, one, I just think our families are, are really one of our greatest accomplishments. That's a great fact one. that, yeah, we have, we have good kids that are working hard. They're, they're, they're fed, they're taken care of. We have wonderful wives. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, you can't, it's hard to put a price on that. As far as business goes, you know, we've, we've been very successful because we, we focused our business on, on acquiring assets. We didn't want to have the greatest brokerage in the world. We didn't want to have the greatest property management company in the world. We wanted to have a business that was focused strictly on acquiring existing property and developing new property and having assets that would then produce cash flow for ourselves and any partners or investors that we might bring in. In turn, those assets support brokerage activity, right? We have brokers in our office that list those buildings. It supports the property management division that we have. 
and all of our property management is just our own assets right now. We don't have any third party stuff and and those fees from from those assets that we own, they 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 support all of our overhead and all and pay for all of our bills. And so I think that's one of one of my you know happiest uh, happiest things about our company is the fact that we're able to focus on acquiring assets and go from 300 and some thousand square feet to like a million three now in wow. eight years. Yeah, the other thing is, you know, I used to always hear, you know, as business owners, to me, employees was always kind of a negative connotation. You always had to deal with them or manage them or whatever. And so it wasn't until later on, until I remember reading the Good to Great book, and it talked about that not necessarily employees were your best asset, but the right employees. And I was like, okay, I can buy into that. So Lance yeah. and I have handpicked the people in our company and they've made all the difference. We've had to let go of a lot of these responsibilities we had. So when you start and you got one employee, right? You you do a lot of things. And after yeah. Lance bounced a couple checks, uh, yeah. we realized the next hire the next hire needed to be our accountant. Yeah, that was a good move to have. And so and so and we got we got an amazing company with people we know, like, and trust. They're like our family. There's a great deal of trust. And so I think that's another accomplishment that I never thought about. But but having a great Work environment, great people you want to work with. Culture. Great culture, yeah. Um, you totally trust them. Great people. And so, so we have, we actually have a saying. We hate it when people say, oh, so-and-so works for me. We say, no, they work with, with me. us. Yeah. yeah. It's a great and We like to use the word with because they're doing things that we can't. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, the other thing was, you know, another accomplishment that's fantastic was when you start off one employee, here it is eight years later, you add up all the properties and all the different people in our organization that we're a part of, we're up to about 101 employees now. Wow. And so that's pretty awesome. cool. And it was never our goal to have a bazillion employees. It just happens with the growth. And for the most part, we've handpicked them, and they're wonderful people. Well, I think it speaks volumes uh, about you both that your each of your biggest accomplishment was not even related to finances. So um, I think yeah, when you have that type of foundation, you no know, sky's the limit. Um, what about uh, what about failure? You guys were to go back in time. Is there something that you did question. that you're just like it didn't quite work out? You know, the great thing about real estate is it's not that it's a failure. It's usually time takes care of a lot of things. It's it's maybe you didn't get as high of a return that you thought. I don't ever look at anything that that we failed on it. It's um, a good way to look at it. But it's maybe the return wasn't quite as high or, or as fast as we liked it. You know, I've got Lance and I have land that we purchased, you know, seven years ago. We're still trying to figure out how to develop the rest of it. So, so you got stuff like that, right? Yeah. But and the other thing we've always tried to live by is we always pay cash for land. So we never have an interest clock ticket on land. Sure. But really, it's just more of a maybe the, the timing wasn't quite as good or maybe the return wasn't as fast or as much. Yeah. But real estate's been a, a good vehicle for us. I, I think there may have been some things company-wise that we would have done differently but it's it's hard here's what's fascinating is unless you're a business owner and you've had employees and you've hired or you've done you know ran a company it's hard to know beforehand what you're going to experience and what you're going to do and prepare for every single thing yeah right and it doesn't matter if there's two similar companies just the dynamics of different people and different things and so it's easy to look back and say yeah, I would have done this a little differently. But in the moment, how would you ever know that? Or how would you prepare for that, yeah. right? So it's not that you necessarily failed at something. You just kind of sit here and say, well, I'd have done that differently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, they each have their own. It's kind of like raising kids, right? Yeah. So each one has their different personality, and you never know what you're getting into. Yeah, exactly. And how do you tell someone, oh, here, read this book, and you'll be a great parent? Yeah, right. I was like, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Hard. So, um, so let's talk about, uh, we'll dive more into kind of the development side of things. So can you guys give us some background? And we kind of want to talk about your first deal that you guys did and here's some background on that i know you're both you can you both gotta go way maybe, back here but maybe you can talk about <laughs> one of the first deals you rolled over commissions in with roger but more importantly beyond that when you're out on your own and you're looking exactly at doing something yeah. bigger. Well, what was well, so here's how, here's one step in that process. This will maybe, maybe Brad can think on that while I tell you about this is when we were at Rogers, we realized there was the way to make money was to, to own real estate and then have it pay you each month. Right. And then we started digging a little deeper and we realized, well, well, Roger didn't necessarily own that all by himself. You know, it wasn't just Roger. I mean, he was the guy, right? He was the manager. He was the face. He was everyone thought Roger owned it all. But if you, as you peel back layers of the onion, you realize, well, dude, there's there's these investors in here, yeah. And and he's put this partnership together, and he's that you know we use the term syndication. He's syndicated yeah. money from all these other people. So we thought, well, cool. Well, how do you do that? And I remember Brad and I, we uh, we flew to uh, Texas and to California on two different occasions to take these syndication classes from a guy named Gene Trowbridge. And we, we spent, you know, we paid for our own way. We, we spent this money to go learn. How do you put one of these deals together? What does that look like? You know, we'd ask Roger and, and it'd been a while since he'd done a syndication and he would say, well, listen, that, and, and, and it just, it wasn't what he was actively doing at the time. And so Brad and I said, let's go learn how to do that. So we flew and we took these classes and we hired an attorney to put together the paperwork for our very first syndication. And we spent thirty-five thousand dollars in attorney's fees on that. Wow, this is this is back when like thirty-five thousand meant a lot to Lance, right? It still means a lot to me, but I was like, it really meant a lot yeah. back then. And we've done we've done lots of syndications since then. We've never paid that much for attorney's fees ever. So, you know, the first one we were learning and oh man, there's a there's a failure slash learning moment. Yeah, exactly. This is that's a learning moment. I would have done something differently there. Yeah, I, I can tell you what I do different. Yeah, I just paid Gene Trowbridge fifteen and been done with it. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to save money doing it differently, but we did. So so that was one. That was an important step, I think, for Brad and I in kind of opening our understanding a little bit and kind of a light turning on like, Hey, yeah, here's how you do this. And here's what you do. Now go call all of your rich buddies and have them fill out this paperwork and put money into this deal and, and, and go. So, so let's talk about that for a couple minutes. So we all get the concept of syndication and then it's, it's having the confidence, not only in yourself, but also getting your investors to be confident in you. So I'm really curious to hear that from you guys. It's, you know, when you were first starting out, you know, there's a lot of people that are in real estate or want to be in real estate. And they listen to podcast after podcast and watch all these things and they never do it because they get scared. They just, they're, they're scared to take that leap and take the risk. And, you know, so there's that side of it. And then there's also, you know, being attractive to investors and them putting faith in you. So I'd really be curious to hear hear about that. Who were your first investors and how did you yeah. sell them on? Yeah, really good. So, you know, it's interesting. Well, all the time we we're at Rogers, we would just do stuff together, right? So maybe Roger was 80% and we're 20. Yeah. And then as we gained more money, maybe we we're 30. You know, then eventually we're 
And so we didn't really need outside investors. But as we created our own company during that time in 2011, there was a lot of opportunities. You get to the point where there's more, more opportunities than capital. And right? you want to scale. You want to scale. And so we're figuring out how, you know, how you do this. And, and, and back in 2005, I started a bank. Ron Shuttlesworth and me, a couple other guys, we started a bank. And we went through the same process of syndicating, raising cash. And I remember distinctly, Ron and I were at one of our one of the potential investors. We sat down with them. We were talking about this. And the light bulb went on my mind going, why am I doing this for a bank? I should be doing this for real estate. And, you know, we raised money for the bank. We got it up, got it going, created it. The whole time we're thinking, that was interesting, but we ought to be doing this for real estate deals. So it was awesome to go through that experience when we started the bank. But then we're like, okay, let's let's take this. And we kept seeing there's going to be more opportunities than Lance and I can put capital together and, and do this. So Our very first fund was strategic. Yeah. And, and I, that was all cash, so we didn't have any debt on that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a fund that was unleveraged. We just used cash for it. But I think reason, here's the reason I think people invested with us, Clay, because they saw us all those prior years, right? Yeah. And brokering. And brokering buying. and buying our own on our own account, saw us do stuff on a smaller scale. You know, when we started the company, we had about 350,000 square feet, so a fair amount of square footage of, of real estate, not a ton, but a little bit. And they saw that and saw that we were successful with it. So I don't know if someone just says, hey, I've got this idea. I've never owned or brokered anything in my life. But here's the here's the, the private placement in the random sign here and give me a check. I'm not sure if that does it, but we had lots of years behind us with our own projects, with our own deals. Then we said, okay, here's a vehicle for all those people who'd want to kind of be involved with us. Because we've had people over the years say, hey, you ever, you know, we, yeah, we'd love to do it with you. Yeah. And we were like, well, we got to create something that's legal. That you don't get sued because you're just putting people together because anytime you're taking money from someone else, in essence, you've created, a, right? yeah, you, you've, create, you've created a security. Exactly. And so when Lance and I took these classes, we're like, oh man, there's a lot of potential liability. You exempt yourself so, so we wanted guys that were high net worth, uh, knowledgeable. So, and that's called um, accredited, accredited, investor, yeah. accredited investors. And so when they meet that up, when, when they meet that, we don't use anyone that's not an accredited investor. Because there's all these different guidelines. So when you go and do that, you can get exempt from some of these other regulations that the security uh, SEC would want you to fall under. You know, too, I think sometimes there's a perception in the community, in, in the investment community, that, that brokers see all the best deals before, yeah, I know. before they before they come up, right? Sure. And so, so sometimes there's this perception that's like, oh, yeah, you brokers, you have access to stuff that us normal guys don't have. And so you guys are getting all the sweet stuff. And, and, and you know, you can use that to your advantage because maybe that, maybe that is true. Maybe that's 100% true. But I think a lot of times, too, outside guys, look, you know, this guy, some of our investors were, you know, if it's a doctor or if it's a guy that owns a, 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 a materials company or it's a guy that, you know, has a car dealership. They're not actively doing this for a living. And so when they see us, a lot of times they're sitting here and they feel like, I feel like, hey, I know you guys. I trust you guys. I feel like you guys are getting in on something here that's a good deal that I wouldn't have got in on yeah. on my own, yeah. right? And yeah. so there's there's kind of that that win-win type of yeah. deal. You know? Clayton and I talk about that all the time. People say, oh, it's great. You're in the real estate business. And we say, well... We're in the information business, you know, <laughs> real estate's the product, but kind of going back to what you said, yeah, we're privy to a lot of, of information. Yeah. And it's how you use that information 
that means everything. Sure. We had, here's what's interesting. We did a deal with a, with a partner. Uh, it, was a, it was a ground lease deal. It was a very good deal. And we did this together. That, the information for that deal was in our office months before we actually ever did it with an outside broker who was outside of our office. Because that information wasn't used properly. Sure. And that was fascinating to me. Here, in our own office, we could have put this deal together. It never happened. But then time goes by, and a broker outside of our office puts the deal together with the same information, brings us in, lets us be partners, and it was a, a tremendously successful deal. Sure. In dovetailing on that information, can you just talk a little bit about what the deal structure looks like as far as what you had offered for returns and, and what type of hold period you had? And if once you guys get that, that asset stabilized, are you refinancing out and putting long-term debt on that and cashing out your investors? Sure. Or are they staying in the deal with you? Man, that's a great question. So, so on all of the assets that we've syndicated, we haven't sold any of them. Okay. We, we are kind of buy and hold type guys. Yeah. And, and I think our investors, you know, they get a check every month. I think they appreciate that. That doesn't mean that there's not a model for selling. We've seen guys that are kind of merchant developers who will develop stuff, sell and, and make a great ROI and give their investors, you know, returns that way. I think that's fine too. And, and, and we may do projects like that. But today, all of our deals have worked to the point that, you know, they cash flow very well just holding them and, and keeping the money and not selling them. Yeah. Now, in order to do that, you have to buy stuff right and it has to, you know, you have to get it right. Our returns on that, they've ranged for those investors anywhere from 12% cash on cash to 40% cash on cash. That's fantastic. It, it just depends, right? And that's without selling anything. And that doesn't include depreciation. That doesn't include any of these other things that, that, that you can benefit from tax-wise or whatnot. That's just straight, you know, invest $100,000, I get $40,000 a year. I invest $100,000, I get $12,000 a year. So those have been kind of some of the ranges that, that we've seen in our projects. We did do one deal where we used uh, money from an investor to pay cash for an asset that we had to close before the end of the year. It was a distressed property. And then we, we got some tenants in there. We went, refinanced, stabilized. We stabilized it, refinanced, and pulled the investor's money back out. And then Brad and I had thrown some money in there too, but not the majority of it. We pulled it back out. And then we just, we held, we, we still have that asset today. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of structures. That was one of the things that was one of our big questions when we started is, well, how do you structure? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you hear about, oh, you got waterfalls, you got you right. know, guaranteed yeah. returns, you've got, <laughs> you got all these different uh, things that investors may or may not want, you know, how do you structure it? And it was hard for us to kind of figure that out. It's like, well, what do you well, do? Well, stressful, how do you too. Do? I mean, you know, because yeah, it's people's money. I mean, <laughs> and your own. Absolutely. So. It's very stressful. You want to give partners good returns. But at the same time, I remember reading an article years ago in CCM Magazine about syndication. And the number one theme was the sponsor never felt like they took enough equity or got enough return for all the exposure yeah. and for all the guaranteeing the debt. Yeah. And all the potential risk that they were involved in, they didn't feel like they were properly compensated for that. And, and I remember one deal we did, um, we, it was a $12 million loan. One of our partners asked a question about, you know, about us getting some sort of fee for this. And I said, well, if you want to help guarantee that $12 million, you could participate in that. They said, no, I'm fine. I'll, I don't want to guarantee that. <laughs> I said, that's why, we, that's why we get that fee, right? Because we, we guarantee the debt. Our partners are limited exposure up to whatever their equity they put into. So 
as a developer, you have to weigh that. There's there's a lot of potential exposure that you're you're signing up for. People sleep better at night. Yeah, none of our investors are sitting here saying, "Oh, you you got to sell this thing tomorrow." You know, we want we got to get out of this. No, we, right. we've all been and, and we've been blessed with awesome investors. You know, I, I mean, knock on wood, they've been they've been wonderful. Sure, been, you know, we could have asked for better guys. And let me follow up with one quick question. You guys have mentioned cash on cash and cash flow several times. Is that kind of the benchmark you're looking at when you're underwriting these deals, or are you looking at IRR? What do you like to see? Yeah, we we typically like cash on cash. Okay, you know because it takes into a lot of it. Kevin takes into debt service. It takes in. Hey, what do I end up with at the end of the day? And it lets you compare apples to apples. Like if I were to take this hundred grand and put it in the stock market, you know, and I got an eight percent return, or if I put it in real estate, it's kind of I, I like that metric a lot. You know, it's you know we see a lot of stuff is based on IRR, right? Right. It means a sale has to take place, and and I hate for investment to only be good. Based on the com, based on that, it's actually going to. I have to sell it. Yeah. You know, cash flow is like six percent or something. Sure. But to get that, get it up to twelve or fifteen, I got to sell that asset. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not our model. We feel like we put so much time and energy in these, each of these projects. We want to hold them for a while, and you know, let the debt get paid down, let equity increase, let it appreciate, um, and and just get the benefit of that cash flow. So. Our model typically is somehow it, it's got to work based on cash flow, unless it's a ground lease kind of scenario. And oftentimes that's that's different, right? You do need to sell that, capture that equity, go redeploy it. But for the most part on our assets, it's purely can we get a good cash on cash without selling it? Interesting. Awesome. Yeah. I think one thing that uh, makes you guys dynamic versus a lot of other developers is you guys have a lot of different segments that you yeah. are involved in, you know, and you see probably thousands of deals come across your desk a year. So the first thing I want to ask is, you know, what are the kind of the key metrics that you guys really look for in a deal and why do some get thrown in the trash and other ones you pursue? Well, it depends on what we had for breakfast. That <laughs> what do we feel like today? <laughs> you know, part of, I think one of the things we, People ask us what we specialize in. I said, well, we specialize in deals, right? And so part of that is what is the market asking for? Where is the demand? You know, instead of us trying to create something and hope the market responds favorably, we're pretty good at sensing the market, feeling the market, and, and have a have a hint or an understanding of what it's asking for. And I don't know how you quantify that necessarily. I mean, we do. We'll, but so right now, we're looking at several markets right now. From uh, you know hotels, apartments to some warehouses, mm-hmm. retail. It's all based on that we feel like there's an unmet demand in that market. So you're, if the deal pencils and and the numbers work for you, you're comfortable with multifamily, retail, office. Absolutely, we have all of it. Last yeah. acquisition, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we have all of it. You know, the, the, we made an acquisition here in Uptown that was, um, it was a significant acquisition, right? But I think. A lot of what, and not all of our deals, but a lot of what gets Brad and I excited is upside. And so there may be certain metrics that, that exist today, but we like to look at, hey, well, what, what's the upside? And what, what else can we do here? You know, yeah. this acquisition we made in, in Uptown, we have the potential to do two other projects associated with this acquisition. 
that, that are outside of just the office building, right? On the out parcels? Yeah, two other projects, yeah. significant projects that, that would be awesome. We have the opportunity to go in there and, and paint the building and remodel the lobby and punch a road through to add more parking and access additional parking that wasn't being used. So I think a lot of times that's what gets us excited, whether that upside comes from filling vacancy, whether that upside comes from actual physical construction, remodeling types and stuff, or whether that upside comes from taking a raw piece of land and constructing a building from the ground up. I think that's, and I don't know how you... I don't know how you measure that and say, oh, Brad, this on the upside meter, this is 10. Let's do this. Right. You know, I don't know, but it's that's why we look at each of these really deals and, and we kind of noodle. If it's a fully stabilized project in a in a good location at a, at a six cap, we're probably not your buyers. That's more of an institutional play, right? And there's sure. nothing else we can do to it. Um, probably not interested. So you guys are getting really creative. I mean, you're looking at a lot of different options, ways to increase income, decrease costs. Um, and really maximize the return on any type of property. Yeah, yeah. We we look at things and we want to be able to to say, okay, I know this is what it's doing, but what else can it do? You know, whether it's something an out parcel, whether it's increasing rents, reducing revenues, expenses. But what else? Yeah, can we don't you do? reduce revenues. Yeah, keep revenue up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's 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 looking at something a little bit differently, turning something into something else. Maybe you're repurposing it, maybe redoing it. You know, when we did the project over there by the UNM, we took that 155-unit yeah. hotel, was boarded up, mm -hmm. and uh, great location near the university. We said, oh, let's turn it into some sort of housing. Let's turn it into some sort of, you know, long-term uh, extended-stay hotel concept. Mm -hmm. And today, we're 100%. Yeah. And, you know, that's thinking out of the box. And you got to get your bankers. you got to get partners involved. That's really unique when you can take something and repurpose it and all of a sudden, you got a project that's, you know, we poured millions into it, and you're like, okay, I hope this works. Absolutely. And and so that's that's probably not for everybody, but you have, you believe in your gut, you believe that, hey, there's a demand that's not being met, let's do this. Then when you create something and it turns out to be 100% occupied, like, okay, obviously the market kind of wanted that. We struggled with that property well because it took us a while to figure out exactly how it's going to work. Yeah, but that that was one of our failures. I think it was, it's not really a failure, but a but a learning experience. We initially started out said, "Hey, we want to have part of this be hotel, part of it be longer term," and uh, we realized those an independently run hotel with you know longer term rentals in the back just doesn't work. You got to be one or the other. Sure. So that was we had a good learning lesson on that, yeah. and it's like that. We, we struggled a year with that. Then as soon as we made the decision. You know, it was almost literally 100% like yeah. within three months. Yeah, we've been 98 to 100% full on that for how long. And we started out at like 599 and I got a report the other day said our rents are over $715. Wow. And it was, an, it, was, it was a project that nobody could figure out for oh, years. Oh, man, it years. was boarded up. There were homeless people in there. Uh, we, we would go in these rooms and they're eating like dead pigeons and burning candles in there and uh there was it was it was disgusting. Man. Yeah, there were needles everywhere. It was terrible, terrible, terrible problem. So I mean, one, and you you actually mentioned it, Brad. But one reason for part of that success in that project was your partner, right, Prakash. Um, so I, I I would like to hear a little bit from you guys on that. Is what do you guys look for in, in partners as well when people come to you and say, hey. You know, I got this project, or I have control of this property, and I want you guys to be involved in it. Have you ever 
you know, shied away from somebody. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's there's very few people in this world that I would partner with. And, and then, the, you know, there's partners, then there's investors, mm-hmm, right? Exactly. But there's very few people that that I think enough of to partner with. There's guys you may like, guys that are wonderful people. But I tell you what, when the stuff hits the fan, mm-hmm. you're in the foxhole and the, the bullets are flying, you better have someone who's got some staying power. And we'll figure it out with you. And, you know, mm-hmm. Roger was that guy. Lance is that guy. You're that guy. Mm-hmm. There's there Prakash is that guy. There's a few people that you'll you'll go down fighting, right? You won't walk away because it's just too much heat, too yeah. much pressure. Because I'm sure there was probably some sleepless nights oh, with that project. Oh, I mean, with every you know, with every project, we don't yeah. want to start naming names of, of <laughs> large academic <laughs> institutions that were unhappy with our acquisition yeah. there. Yeah, but yeah, there was. There were some sleepless. There were so many sleepless nights there that at, at one point, I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada, with my wife and, and this other couple. They were friends of ours from college, and my wife had convinced me to go to see Tim McGraw and Faith Hill up there. And so, so we're there, and the girls wanted to go get this couple's massages, and we're in the lobby of this hotel booking these massages, right? And I'm there talking with my buddy, and Brad calls me, and he tells me, "Hey, dude." That the, all the all the problems that we were dealing with there, the legal stuff, the this and that, the guys, you know, that were picking on us. He's telling me, "Hey, it's done. It's over. We won." And I sat down in that lobby and I just started crying. Yeah. And I'm not a crier, dude. Uh, like, I'm not. I'm not. I, I mean, I've got a redneck tough guy image to uphold, right? And uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting there crying. And my buddy's like, "Dude, are you okay?" I said, "I said I have no idea why I'm crying, man." Just and I realized so, all that stress, uh, all those yeah. sleepless nights you talked about, they were just coming out. Yeah, so, so there's not many people who can handle this. Yeah. I mean, this, this, is a, this is a high-stress business. When we tee deals up, we get them going. I mean, you got so many pieces, as you guys know, that you have to get across the finish line at the same time. You're moving lots of things, whether it's your bankers, your entitlements, your whatever. You know, there's a, something wrong with the title, something wrong with the service. Who knows? But, you, you know, plus – let alone the fact that this is hope this is a good deal and you hope it works. Yeah. You got all these issues. So there's a lot of things that go on. So you gotta have people that can, you know, multitask or have a team that can do it. And because it's it's very, very detailed, at the same time you have to be visionary. I mean, there's so many pieces that have to fall together. So you better have a partner who has skills you don't have mm-hmm. to make up for your weaknesses and make up for your so either a partner or professionals you hire or staff or whatever. Someone's gotta help round it out because it's it doesn't magically just happen. Absolutely. Um, I, I've got to follow up on that. I, as as uh, the market has been so hot for the last eight to 10 years and good deals seem to be harder and harder to come by, you know, all money's green, as people will say. And there's a lot of investors, a lot of money on the sidelines looking for yield. With that being said, what does your deal flow look like? Your funnel? How are you guys coming across opportunities? Yeah, that's that's awesome. In fact, I kind of added it up yesterday. So currently, right now, we own about 160 million dollars in assets. Right now, okay. We've got, I think it's about six projects total, about 85 million right now. We're working on. Wow. And then we've got another project that's totally separate. That's 60 million dollars. Uh, that's an out-of-state deal. So. Even though, even though we're you know, people think we're peaking or this or that. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily look at it that way. I just I still go by is the demand there? Are the fundamentals right? Is your financing right? Can you get things done 
the way you need to. It's still a case by case instead of just using generalities to sure. describe a market. Okay. So if you if you buy it right, you finance it right, yeah. you put long term fixed debt on there. You do the you do the best you can with what you have. Sure. Um, and, and I still think there's there's good opportunity. You know, we're conservative guys by nature, so maybe that's why we have some of that internal conflict because we're conservative. You know, we're trying to we're trying to create but also preserve. Um, and so we have to make decisions every day about do this project, don't do that project. Um, we've been fortunate as we move forward, we usually can solve any unforeseen things. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that feel like, oh, we've peaked, we're there. But yet all of a sudden we've got almost as much deal flow that we than we currently own. That's and so whether or not all that will come to fruition, every bit of it absolutely can. But, you know, and, and so I don't know exactly how, other than we perceive markets, what it needs, we go look, find land or whatever we're trying to develop. And then we go and quantify it with, you know, either market studies or whatever it might be. And then we can put it together. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we can do it. But we still are seeing opportunity in the marketplace. It's not real easy. It's not real obvious. But, you know, it's, and, and I guess most of that, most of that's probably development. It's not existing product. That Ground we're up. Yeah. yeah. That's what I think. Some when, of it is. In the market we're in today, I think you, the way you find yield is ground up development sure. more so than, than acquiring Absolutely. or it's redevelopment or it's a of existing. Yeah, repurpose. Right. So out of that 85, I think 10 is an existing product. Okay. And it's a repurpose. Okay. So, so right. it, it's not existing. It's not usually existing product. The other thing, I mean, I mean, think about this is people say, well, we peaked where well what does peaking mean right well it probably means the the values of of land or buildings are are high as high as they'll be and then there'll be some correction they'll come down or this or that the, the way we underwrite our deals is because we're conservative we sit here and we say okay what kind of tents are we going to have and, and we run these spreadsheets and so for instance we're, we're working on some state projects we've done some leases with the state of new mexico we've developed some buildings for them that's a good credit tenant right the economy's going to go up or down or whatever, but they're, they're still going to have their MVD office, yeah. right, for all intents and purposes. And if the and if the government's broke, then we probably have bigger problems yeah, and right. paying our stuff back, and we'll all be in trouble, right? So so you just look at that and you say, okay, here's a tenant. We're we're looking at some other deals now, with some national credit tenants that are willing to sign long term leases, you know. And we're sitting here saying, okay, what's their credit like? All right, look at their financials. They've been around long, you know. And so, okay, well, let's go forward and, and go ahead and do that. So you're locking your rate, your rates in and your rents in for the next 10, 15 years. Sure. What does, I mean, that helps mitigate some of that risk, right? So there may be ups and downs for the next 10 years, but because you've done all this work up front and you've built and developed this product at a return that will work for you and you have financing in place for the next several 10 years or whatever, you know, it kind of mitigates some of that risk. And I'm not saying that nothing bad's going to happen. But I think that's how, even in a market like this today, you can still go build and develop things as long as the fundamentals are in place and, and whether that for the next 10, 15 years or whatever. Yep. Oh, so I got a tough question. And I, the whole time I've been listening to you guys, I've been wondering which one you are. But when it comes to acquiring property, and you say this quite a bit, Gannon, but there's guys, there's, what do you say, there's field guys, and then there's... No, numbers no, guys and field guys. Numbers guys and field you know, yeah. What would you? That's the field guy. I'm the numbers. So that's why perfect. you guys balance each other out. Yep. 
down. Because it takes, I think it no, takes No, wait, both. I said that backwards. Brad's yeah. the Phil's guy. I'm the numbers guy. I can't remember what I said. But I'm numbers, Brad's Phil's. Brad, Brad will feel stuff and, and say, oh, I think this and that. And I'll say, the first thing I do is make a spreadsheet. Yeah. And, and I say, well, I, and I say, well, Courtney, that's that's our assistant. She's a wonderful, awesome gal. I say, Courtney, I want to find all the comps. Whatever, what's everything else running for around here? What are they getting here? I want to see all the data and yeah, let's put that up the there. Yeah. And then I start crafting a deal and say, okay. And then I call my project manager, Jordan Wallace, and I say, Jordan, hey, what's the numbers from our last deal? What did it cost us per square foot to build that deal? What did it, you know? And what do you think here? And what's it? And so, totally that. Yeah. And so that's why I think we're a great team is because Brad's feels and I'm numbers and, and we just, we kind of work together like that. Yeah, totally. It's great to have uh, someone that compliments you. As we, uh, as we're wrapping up here on our hour, we're going to have to have you guys on the show again, just to, <laughs> to kind of put that out there because there's just so many more things I want to talk about, but um, how, how could our listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to learn more about you, learn more about your investments? What's the best way for them to track you guys down? Sure, yeah. We have uh, our websites, uh, alansigmund.com. Um, you can get our information there. You can call our office at 505-884-4699. We'd be happy to, to visit and help out wherever we can. Uh, one, one of the things Brad and I are pretty passionate about is is kind of this mentoring and, and, and helping. and Yeah forward exactly i think there's some guys out there who feel like hey man you can't give away the the secret recipe or you're gonna you know everybody's gonna be competing with you and they'll figure it out and they'll take a slice of the pie and yeah there's some things you don't tell people obviously but as far as like you know stories or how we made stuff or deal structures or different things we're, we're happy to share and visit with people and mentor guys coming up and just be a sounding board for for ideas or projects or or deals so yeah we we love doing that stuff for sure and relationship advice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've, 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 got, I've got a degree from China on the, on the love doctor. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate both of your time. It's just been so much uh, knowledge here, and I can't thank you enough. Yeah. No, thank you guys for having us. We appreciate it. Anything right. else from you, Clayton? That's it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks so much for tuning in today. What a awesome episode. So much valuable information that we can all benefit from. If you want more information, feel free to visit our website, thecreproject.com. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please share on any social platform. Uh, We certainly appreciate the help and we will talk to you next episode. Thank you.